Hello and welcome to Cine Drunk, the podcast where we're drunk on cinema and alcohol. Brought to you by Cinemunch.com. I'm one of your co-hosts, Matt, joined as always by Elizabeth. Yeah, and baby. Nathan. What? Yep, I did her first. I was second. Yep. Finally, the sole woman didn't have to come last. <laughs> oh, we're all women here. <laughs> no. Really? But okay. <laughs> uh, welcome back. I assume you will have listened uh, to the first part of this, as it should unless be you're a monster. part two, unless you're a monster. Um, so this So is... then you know why we're so drunk. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Did you just hit your head on I hit my glass? head on my knee. Oh. Oh, well. I don't actually know which is sadder, hitting it on your glass or knee. Yeah. Anyways, we are here with part two of our top tens, um, personal top tens of 2018. So you are tuning in for numbers five through one. Yes. Get ready. Strap in. <laughs> strap that on and strap it in. Oh, my. Wow. <laughs> Read so much into for this that being a you... family podcast. Yeah, Cinedron. Family. Every, every family's favorite podcast. They oh. gather around. They gather on the fireplace and their Victrola. <laughs> they put on, <laughs> on Cinedron. <laughs> on vinyl. And did uh, someone ask what we're drinking? We're still drinking vodka, mountain berry juice, and... <laughs> <laughs> seltzer this time, not club soda seltzer. So, mm. um, you know. It does it taste up. more seltzer. <laughs> it does. It's good. It's good. Okay. Again, Moving stoked on. to jump back in our top five favorite fucking films of the year. Fuck yeah! Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> I think He's we're put just, on a backward baseball cap. He's wearing a polo shirt mm-hmm. now. Yeah, mm-hmm. We are just... What has happened? I think we're loopier than we are drunk. But... Let's jump back in. My number five. Fifth best film of 2018, according to moi, is Annihilation. Oh! Alex Garland's second feature as a director. He had previously directed Ex Machina from three years ago. That was in my list and was Elizabeth's number two, I think, of that year. Mm -hmm. Good-ass film. It is a gorgeous adaptation of Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy, which I don't think I could actually describe in detail. You haven't read it. I think that's important. Oh, when no, you say I have a gorgeous not. adaptation, you don't know what it's. Well, I don't care. Neither, nor do I. Don't, I, I don't, nor do I. I don't but I think care it's an important. It no, none of us have read it. I think it's an important point. <laughs> that's fair. Yes. And I I'll don't... talk about it more later. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I don't know what the books are like, but I know that the script is pretty fucking killer. Yeah. So yeah. it's a gorgeous adaptation and unique. I think we already discussed this because it was both Nathan and I's number one of the of the year so far when we did our. Best of the year Might thus do. far in uh, oh, no, July. It was, it was somewhere up there. Um, it was number two for me. But just that um, Alex Garland read this trilogy of books and then wrote the screenplay solely based off of some notes and mostly his memories of like how he felt reading it and yeah. what he felt the character. And that serves the film so well because it is so much more emotional than yes. it is. Like it's more about posing questions than answering them. Yes. Um, more about the journey and the process and I really respond to that it's so up my alley and Nathan's I think that is definitely where our Venn diagram comes to a point is like smart cerebral sci-fi that's female led like Arrival yep. or Contact yep. like that's just yep. so our jam and a great ensemble of amazing women yep. one who of are several, smart and one of several fucking this great year. at their jobs yeah, yeah. Like, and there are several films that are almost exclusively female casts. Yep. Ensemble casts. And a genre... I mean, I don't like calling it a genre film. But it is. But it, but I feel like it's even more rare that it's, like, sci-fi. Yep. And yep. also female-led, which is even... It's wonderful. Right. It's wonderful. Yeah, sci-fi is often the, like, playground for boys. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. It's questioning humanity and our place in the universe life and death it's ambitious it's haunting it's definitely a meditation on grief for sure mm-hmm. and i love the score i think natalie portman is great yeah. i love jennifer jason lee in this movie Ooh, for some reason good. especially in a second she's viewing so good. very jennifer jason lee like it's perfect <laughs> very, for her. yes very yeah the visual effects are awesome and kind of singular like yeah. it also it, has one of the most terrifying scenes with that bear Oh yeah, mm. creature like is a genuinely horrifying. That's another like scene and image. There have been several this like, year that has just like brain. yeah continue to haunt me. Yeah, yeah, and that's also that particular scene, among with some 
along with some of the other parts of the movie, made me think a lot about the... Th- is it The Thing? Um, oh, yeah. The John kind Harper. of body horror yes. aspect of it. Yeah. Which is just one part of the movie, but I thought not in a, like... Um, you know, this is referential sort of way, mm-hmm. but just yep. like a, oh, this is interestingly inspired or maybe not at all, but it's, anyway, it's mm-hmm. your time to talk. No, yeah, it's Hobby. just, Annihilation is an experience. Yeah. Just to let it wash over you and sink in and it's, I feel like it's, <coughs> sorry. Um, I mean, it is specific, but it's also just ambiguous enough that you can project what you need to onto it and it really really worked for me and it's definitely one of the top five films of 2018 it's also beautiful like cinematography is stunning yep 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 that's my number five nice great my number five is also a female-led cast it is support the girls oh nice um directed by andrew boljolski i have Mm -hmm. no idea how to say his last name he doesn't either i get confused when they look like i don't know Polish. You just put a J in there. <laughs> yeah, when you put a J somewhere, I get really scared <laughs> of your name. Um, it's the type of film that I really love, which is just like a very slice of life. Here's a piece of humanity that's not often represented. Um, like, lower socioeconomic, but in a way that's not, uh, like, poverty porn. Right. Wait, it's not the Florida Project, mm. which I, I do love. Say yeah, the Florida but Project. Florida, I think yeah. that was one of the reasons that like Florida Project it was one of the issues I had with that movie is it felt a little bit like poverty porn. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not. It's just very much like no, this is what working class people look like. Yep, people who live paycheck to paycheck and yeah. they get by just fine. But yeah, and um, I also love uh, like the f- movies about like the familial relationships we form out of necessity. Sure. Yeah. So, like, all of these women who probably wouldn't necessarily be friends in their outside life if they were to meet in any other circumstance, like, through the process of working and having to go through this experience together of working at this bar that is sort of like a Hooters knockoff. Right. Where Regina Hall is their the manager. manager. Yep. Um, Regina Hall's performance just anchors that whole film, and mm-hmm. it's so humane and funny. And melancholy, it's sort of a... I mean, she's not... I wouldn't call Regina Hall middle-aged, but I guess she's in her 40s, so that's might as well be death. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a woman sort of feeling frustrated with where she is mm-hmm. in her life and the way it is going and figuring out how to deal with that and part of her way of dealing with it is like caring deeply for the women who she manages mm-hmm. yeah. and who work for her. And... Um, I just found it really, it's very funny too. Mm-hmm. It's a little melancholy and it has maybe the most cathartic ending I've seen in the entire year. I don't want to give it away, but that last scene is like my favorite scene where this this is a year that I have wanted to do what they what do they in do. the last yeah. scene. <laughs> like so many times and there's like, it's like a little bit of collective female rage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like female rage not in a rageful way, like not necessarily then but expelled like, through anger. Like yeah. there's something still funny and cathartic and, uh, and almost like exercising, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. exorcism of female rage at the end. That is just so great. Um, yeah. But still on this like realistic scale that matches right. with the rest of the movie. It's not like right. super cinematic. And none of their problems are solved. Like, it's not like it leaves off with, like, our characters in, like, this super happy, resolved place in a way that, like, most mm-hmm. Hollywood mainstream yeah. screenplays does. Like, everything is still pretty unresolved, whatever, but it's just, like, again, it's this incredibly cathartic moment, both for the characters in the film and for me as a woman alive in the year of 2018 to experience. So, yeah, Support the Girls is my number five. Well. And you should support it because it's streaming on Hulu. Mm-hmm. That's one of those movies that I have not seen but is even higher on my list now that you talked about it. Yeah. Um, love it. Yep. So, so it's my number five. Number five? Right? Mm-hmm. So my number five has been mentioned already. <gasps> Eighth grade. Ooh. And the first word that I wrote was honest. Like, I think we, Elizabeth yeah. talked about this too. Like, it's, it feels authentic. It feels 
honest. There's this confessional quality that's reinforced by the fact that, you know, the protagonist is making self kind of like self-help YouTube <laughs> videos <laughs> um, that kind of frame the movie and yeah. frame the action. Um, I love the innovative, maybe not innovative, but like unexpected music choices. Like you were talking about the scene of the pool party mm-hmm. and like it, it's like not what just a formulaic movie would have chosen. Right. Or from, you know, what the director or whoever would have chosen but it feels so true. Yeah. Like that's the experience that this girl is having. Yeah. And um and we can all relate to it at some level, which is like what movies are about. And also I think teenage like teen depictions of teenage life have been even more so like Hollywoodized mm-hmm. than some other subject mm-hmm. matter. Like the oh, John in sure. movies, in yeah. movies especially. Very much romanticized. Yeah. And also like almost like, always oh. like over sexualized or sexualized in a mature way. Like sexualized in an adult's understanding of sex. Yeah. Um and they cast gorgeous twenty two year olds. And I guess that's mostly I imagine it's mostly because Adults are the ones making the movies, and and you know they're yeah. they're you know everyone kind of regrets certain things about their youth and misses their youth to some extent. But at the same time, high school is such an awful time for most people. Right. It seems like right. <laughs> this was so refreshing because it was well, she's not even quite in high school yet, but you know, um, yeah. it was just so refreshing and so honest and felt felt so real and again surprising and and lovely that it happened to be written by a man like somehow (laughs) it also has another scene that is also plays out like a horror movie um the scene with her in the the car car. with the high school oh my god yeah yeah and you know i saw i mean some like you know people wrote about that scene and they're like it's the me too scene of the movie which i hate using the Phrase to just generalize everything when it comes to like talking about like sexual harassment and potential assault. assault. Yeah. Um, but I love that that f- that scene plays out so incredibly realistically. Yeah. Like the specific ways in which he is pressuring her and making her feel guilty and her discomfort and her reaction, but he doesn't take it to an exploitative place, which would have been if the boy actually assaulted her, which yeah. I sat there in a panic. Cause already at this point I'm losing my mind. I'm having a full yeah. panic attack <laughs> right. from all of the previous scenes. And then we get to that and I'm like, am I going to have to watch this girl get sexually assaulted? Like I'm going to lose my fucking mind. And we don't, she turns him down and he does like listen to her. He's an asshole to her, but he like listens to her and leaves her alone and drives her home. And you, but what's really the core of that is that we as audience, as an adult, as enlightened people, we know that this boy has done something very shitty. Yeah. But what we see in her is that she feels bad. Yep. Yeah. She feels upset that she upset this boy. And it's such a relatable experience. And it's what specifically as women, I remember feeling that way, being made to feel that way, where I like stopped a boy from doing something I didn't want to do. And then he got mad at me. And I felt upset with myself and I felt bad that I hurt his feelings. When the truth is, he <laughs> was putting me in a terrible... You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, And that is almost like more representative and more honest than if she had been assaulted. Absolutely. Which is something we see all the fucking time in film is girls yeah. and women being assaulted and whatever. Yeah. And instead he did something which is probably like almost every woman experiences at some point in her life. Yeah. Yep. It's such an incredibly dumb scene. Now I'm like, why didn't I put it higher? Probably because I was so traumatized watching it. <laughs> anyway. But I think yeah, but the potential positive impact that has on young men, too, is yes. even greater. Because it's mm-hmm. like, young men are, in general, very quick to say, you know, or it's at least... What I mean is it's a lot easier to say, well, I don't actively rape anyone. Right. I don't actively assault anyone. Right. I, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. Give yourself a fucking medal. But, like, <laughs> that's good. And they do. That's good. Yes. <laughs> yep. And they do. That's fine. That's good. 
but like that's not what we're talking it's like when white people no, are like right. i'm not a racist because i don't wear a white hood and burn crosses it's like well you just missed 99 percent of racism right like <laughs> right yeah yeah so i yeah that's no it. right and it's like it's it's like actually very beneficial because the film is so solidly from her point of view and our empathy is so with her that if you're a young boy seeing this you can be like oh, what that guy did is really fucking shitty. Yeah. And then you might, like, reevaluate how you might make someone feel in that situation, which is which so I important for to... building empathy. Yeah. And we never see that. No. There was a, a series of tweets. Tasha Robinson, who writes for The Verge and used to be um, someone who did the Dissolve, both the website and the podcast, which are dearly missed. She had this series of tweets where, I think it was the first time she saw it, she was behind or near, like, a group of teenage boys who were on their own, and they were like... They had a bunch of comments throughout the movie, and then when that scene came, they were silent as fuck, and by the end of it, they were like, no, 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 don't do it, bro, don't do it, bad, bad, and like, yeah, like, good, yep. all right. It's good. Like, it's so well done that it, I mean, it, it yeah. Yeah. It, because it, it's also, we really like, like, don't educate boys about consent, so, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yep. Right. That boy probably wouldn't even, is in the movie, in the context of the movie, is maybe not even a bad person. He just operates the way... Yep. Boys are encouraged to operate. So having a movie that actively fights against that. You met one one beautifully executed scene. Well then it's also just a funny, touching movie on its own. Right. Just, like Yeah. Narrative. Yeah, I've I've watched it three times, which I don't re <laughs> I don't rewatch movies. Right. <laughs> but it has not gotten it has not suffered at all yeah. from a rewatch. Like if anything it's Improved. It's just a it's a tremendous movie. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's number five. Uh, so we're to me now. You're at number four. four. Yeah. So my number four, which I suspect we will talk about more, is "Can You Ever Forgive Me?" Can you? Mm-hmm. Can, can no, you? I can't. <laughs> actually. Uh, directed by Mariel <laughs> Heller, uh, starring Melissa McCarthy as Lee Israel, who was a successful biographer, um, celebrity biographer, who then in the '90s hit sort of a lull in her career, sort of her bread and butter no longer became the day of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, cultural taste had shift and she didn't know really what her place was. So this also falls into the melancholy middle-aged woman oh, struggling yes. with her place very in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it. And it is, it's, mel- it's very New York. Very. Um... In a way, it's like a weird little love letter to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and she makes a friend named Jack, played by Richard E. Grant, who is terrific. Mm-hmm. And they're codependent, sometimes toxic and unhealthy. Friendship. Friendship is deeply moving, actually. Very. It's both like very funny in a lot of places, but deeply moving. Um, Melissa McCarthy, I've always thought has, is great. Um, but she sort of like plums new depths without doing the like I'm a comedic actress playing playing serious, against like, type. Yeah, yeah. It actually is very much a Melissa McCarthy character, and it's hilarious. Just and very funny, yeah. and she always has a little bit of like acidity. I mean, her best comedic yeah. performances have a little bit of like acidity, like acerbic, yeah. and acerbic quality. But it's just played on a more human scale, mm-hmm. kind of. Um, yeah, I just loved it. I kind of don't know mm-hmm. what more to say except for it was just my jam. And yep. I was moved by it. It made me laugh. I was so invested in those two characters. I loved the depiction of New York. It made me both so happy I lived here and also like reaffirmed all of the fucking frustrating, awful things about living here. <laughs> yeah. And like trying to be an artist and... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. find where that spot is for you in the world. I don't know. I really loved it. So Amen. That's Agreed. my number four. Love that choice. Me too. Um, what's Nathan. your number four? Number my four. number four is a movie called <laughs> Sorry to Bother You. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I that would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought so. Which is a bit of a, I, I guess it's like social science fiction Um there's one way to characterize it. Um, about a young black man in Oakland who he like he finds 
it is Oakland, right? He yep. finds success at a telemarketing job mm-hmm. pretty much because he starts using a white voice <laughs> at the, you know, advice of, I think it's Danny Glover, like his yes. Yes. <laughs> co-worker at the telemarketing place. So then it goes from there and um, just really goes to crazy places. Yeah. Oh, um, like satire. Like sat- satirical absurd. social sci-fi places yeah. that... And it has so much to say. Yeah, like the capitalism piece is what stuck with me the most because I feel like it's almost the least critiqued. Hopefully that will change very soon because I feel like there's a lot of critiques about capitalism out there right now. But in terms of movies, I mean, movies are successful because of the capitalism. I mean, people make movies to make money, even if it's an indie movie. Like that's... So it's kind of at odds with that to some extent, which is interesting, but... Um, Tessa Thompson is a dream in general. She's brilliant as an actress. She's, you know, always fully lived in her characters from my perspective. Mm -hmm. She plays this kind of visionary visual artist who has really interesting fashion and like (laughs) does some questionable, um, performance Performance art. art. (laughs) Then there's Army Hammer, who's basically like, playing white supremacy kind of but also like <laughs> capitalist pig, um yeah. Pig. Elon yeah yeah like so it's just it's it, it has so much to say but somehow for me at least it it like that's a risk to have too much to say for a movie yeah but for this in this case it really works um it doesn't feel for me at least it didn't feel disjointed or fragmented Mm -hmm. it just felt like it was a movie that had a lot to say Mm -hmm. and said it interestingly Mm -hmm. and effectively Mm -hmm. and you know more than any other factor this movie has influenced how i think about the late capitalism stage that we're in right now for sure i also think that Mm -hmm. it's great that it's not because it's about capitalism and then it's also about race but the two are um, conjoined so Mm -hmm. The, because America. the impacts on cap, the impact of capitalism on race and racism in yes. America, which is and how something they've lived that, in tandem, right? Yeah. And it's something that still is like almost undercommented on. Like this is not to get all like political, but like that's one of my issues and was in 2016 with Bernie Sanders is it's like he has this sort of like anti-capitalist message but he refuses to acknowledge how like systemic racism plays into that. Yeah. Where he just sort of makes it seem like it's just the working class against the elite. And it's like, but it's not (laughs) just that. And so I appreciate it. Anyway, I think that that is often an under-discussed element of it that I appreciated the film was was tackling. For sure. It, it is tackling a lot, and it's because of that it's like appropriately kind of shaggy or messy, but because it is keeping that tone throughout it, it just seethes with that anger and yeah. injustice, and I don't think it's, it's very messy, effective. But I sure I think it's messy just in that it's tackling so much that it's not like very clear cut. It's not as focused this as is a the point. different movie would be because it's that's not what it's doing. Right. Right. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, it's also a Gonzo film. Like, it, yeah, it's batshit crazy. It's for sure. Be... It's meant to be. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Which I love. Yeah. Oh, appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. I had it on Swing my for like, the fences. I had it on my like more I admired it than Same. Yeah. Stuck with me, but I love that it's on your list and I thought it would be. Um and I like hope Boots Riley gets to make more movies and I just hope in general that we get more filmmakers taking such an audacious swing. Like Same. I would much rather yeah. see a movie like that that ultimately doesn't make my top ten or whatever, but I admire it and I'm so grateful that movies like that exist and are being made and yeah. being made by filmmakers of color. Right, right. You know, I think my one big quibble with it, actually, it's interesting that they bring up Tessa Thompson, who I love. Right. And I actually think that she saves the character in as much as you can, but I have some issues with that female character. Oh, I can see that. Especially because mm-hmm. she's the only woman. Yep, yep, that's fair. As is always the case. Yep. Um, but that's an excellent Which choice. is a blind spot for me, so I'm glad you brought it up. Yep. But, you know, and she's a little bit like the uh, <laughs> gonzo version of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, kind of. Oh, sure. I see that. Mm-hmm. In that film. But, again, I'm so, like, happy I saw it and grateful that films like that are getting made. And, and uh, to be 
not to be fair, any, I mean, I think I'm distracted enough because she's she's such a compelling such performer, such a compelling performer. Yeah, that I again glad you brought that up. She yeah. rounds it out. I yeah. wouldn't have even really. And I wasn't. I actually didn't necessarily feel that way watching the film because she is such a compelling actress. But then it was like afterwards when I was thinking about it that I was like, oh. Let's think about Ooh. the way this character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. More like how it functions. But I love that choice, and I thought it would be on your list. Mm-hmm. That was one of the four. So now we're are uh, we on three. No, I'm my number four, oh, but okay. I'll be very brief. Are because... we still listening to Matt's list, or is it just you and I? No, I think A Star <laughs> Is Born invalidated all of my lists. <laughs> mur, mur. Uh, well, I'll be brief because my number four is our first tic tac toe, meaning it appeared on all three of our lists, and that is eighth grade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we've pretty much said it all, but I will also just say that it, you know, in addition to being a fantastic screenplay and amazing performances, I think it's visually. Oh, yeah. Great, too. I love all the details and what's shown, like, some of those opening scenes while you just see all those shots of the eighth graders before school, like, stacking markers and, like, <laughs> talking. Yeah, floss, like, just <laughs> stupid shit that, like, yeah. really puts you in a time and place that's very relatable and yeah. <laughs> anxiety-inducing. Because it's which tough I, to be a kid. Which I would say, as someone who loves movies, but... That's, I'm not an, a movie expert or educated in film or anything, and it's not what I do for my job. Sometimes I have to remind myself, like, movies are a visual medium, period. Right. Like, that is the number one yep. defining character. And we sort of take it for movie. granted because exactly. we're so used to visual So I'm glad that yeah. you yep. zeroed in on that because even though it's, like, a broad, you know, because well, that's part of why it's so successful. Like, that's, yeah. like, also, you know, why Roma stuck with me so much. Right. Why all of these, and any movie that is on my personal list has to be visually exciting. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely a directorial achievement, too. For like, sure. It shows a lot of direction talent as well. It's not just yeah. that he wrote a good screenplay. Wrote a good screenplay and, then... and filmed it yeah. generically. No, yep. it, it has point of view. I'm glad you brought that up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's my number four. Appeared on all of our lists. So we are it's... to our bronze medal number F and three. And it's me. It is to you. My number three is Can You Ever Forgive Me? I, I can. I knew it. Which um, I agree with everything Elizabeth said. I mean, <clears throat> I, I think this is another one that's like a depression movie for me. For sure. I mean, she's for clearly sh- depressed. Sure. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> there are many signs, but um, just relieving the tension. Melissa McCarthy, at her best, I always, I've never disliked Melissa McCarthy, but I have thought maybe that she was over Praised. rated for giving kind of like similar performances. This mm-hmm. is not one of those performances for me, at least. Mm-hmm. This is like sensational. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love the art direction of the movie. I actually was confused about what era it was set in (laughs) because of the character, because she's the kind of character who would, for example, just use a typewriter in 2019, even though... Oh, yeah, that she was so stubborn that she wouldn't change. I'm still not... It's It's the 90s, 90s, right? The 90s, okay. So, like, but, but the thing about the art direction and all the kind of technical considerations of the movie... Is that it, to me at least, it felt very suffocating in the way that New York can feel suffocating. Yep. In the way that the pressure to publish can feel suffocating. Mm -hmm. The pressure to have a social life can Mm -hmm. feel... Mm -hmm. Like, it's very interesting to me that these two characters, Melissa McCarthy and Richard... E. Grant. E. Grant. They both desperately need a friend. Yes. But they both would never admit that they need a friend. Oh, no. These characters. Yeah. And they're also both completely <laughs> both incompetent shit, about how to be a friend. Yes. Yeah. Like, yes. they both have no idea how to even go about actually being a friend. Which also... Which they desperately need. Yeah, which also is not... It's not unique to New York, but it is very appropriate yeah. for New York. Because yep. you, at the same time as you're surrounded by millions of people, you can get into this, like anti-social it can be the most lonely place the most isolated lonely yeah Yeah. so i thought that part of it was what is the only thing i would really add it's also a queer movie like which i didn't yeah but in the best way where it's like not the point right it's not like 
similar to like the favorite and like, and to the point queer, where i like yeah. forgot right yeah. <laughs> yeah well because it's not a story about queer people yeah being queer. it just is it is <laughs> what it is so yeah i just it's such a great movie everyone should see it there's no one on this earth that shouldn't see that movie i agree i agree that's my number three that's number three we are to me my number three is pure fucking poetry it is the writer mm. chloe zhao's film it is a directorial stunner. Which and I sadly have not I don't seen. think I know what this movie is. This is no? Could you horse? give us short? It's horse. Yes, okay, I, okay, I'm okay, going okay. to tell you. So sure. it's, okay. <laughs> it, it really blurs the line between documentary and fiction. Right. Ooh, it's untrained actors basically playing themselves in re- like real life situations that they're either coming across or have come across. Like So it's... Uh, the main character, Brady Jandro, is basically playing a version of himself. He was a once rising like rodeo star in, I think, South Dakota, somewhere in like Badlands, mm-hmm. one of the Dakotas, um, who suffered a terrible accident while riding or competing and can no longer do it. Yeah. And just him grappling with the loss of what his life was going to be, what his dream was, and his family and the people around him and the people that still do that and trying to be like part of that life and that world and that community but not being able to do something that like defined who you are yeah and it's um yeah it's it's pretty remarkable but all that like blending and how it feels like documentary it's still very much so a movie it's gorgeous the cinematography is amazing it is a subject and a logline that i just spit out that i couldn't give any fucks about right but the way it dramatizes and humanizes the story i mean it's why we watch movies it's right. so empathetic his performance is so warm and lived in i mean obviously because he's playing himself but never once do i think oh he knows there's like a camera on him and nothing feels forced about it yeah and it has such energy it's such light lyrical touch to subject it's this similar to so i already had the two documentaries on my list mining the gap and this is very similar in like it's painful kind of portrait of americana and definitely masculinity Mm -hmm. and how you define that and who you are and how that like just masculinity can be so fucking toxic and how that and also fragile that when fragile how that dictates your life and breaks what you have known to be for sure masculine identity how do you right and then the other documentary that was on my list free solo like you know how that's he climbing is his life and that's what he does so this is like that same type of person that once you lose that and you can no longer do what you love and what defines you who are you what's your identity how do you navigate the world and and it's so quiet and subdued but it just sneaks up on you there are several scenes that I, I mean, my jaw was on the floor, and it's about fucking horses and rodeo <laughs> riding. Like, I don't care. But 2018 had some great fucking horse movies, man. Like this. Yeah, I heard which Lean is on Pete was good too. Far and away, my number three. I really did like Lean on Pete. It's somewhere in my top 35. Sorry to bother you. Might feature some horses. <laughs> like, yeah. I wouldn't yes. have thought of that as a horse movie. <laughs> yeah. But that does mean Nathan has a horse movie on his. Oh no! It's foiled again. But yeah, the rider. I know it's on stars right now, yeah. but seek it out it is a fucking gem and will forever be like underappreciated though it did get i think five independent spirit awards last year because it was it debuted at festivals the year before it won the gotham independent award over some intense competition Mm -hmm. so it has its fans i'm one of them and you will be too if you watch it check it out the writer and i hope chloe zhao doesn't have like a um Ten-year gap Tam- between Tamara the next Jenkins. films. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, my, yeah, it's, it's so one crazy. Of my... She's like an Asian American woman who, I mean, I don't know her her life, but that she would choose this as yeah. a topic and to tell it's it's very white straight male South Dakota life. Like what? Yeah. It's it's crazy. But similar to like eighth grade, how Bo Burnham was so successful at right because you just have to actually genuinely care about your subject right exactly you have to show the humanity and you also have to be humble have the humility to know that you should listen to them talk about their life experience rather than deciding what you think that experience is from your own point of view yep yeah right two seemingly very simple things that are clearly not simple a lot for a lot of people to have the humility to say maybe i'm not the best 
person to tell this like maybe I don't know best what's going on with this person and I should listen to someone else and find out indeed um, well it's one of my great shames that I have not seen that movie because it's also a film directed by a woman so thanks for shaming me and <laughs> no, you should be ashamed Shame. <laughs> to be on this um, what's your bronze but at least my bronze is yet another um, female focused narrative with an almost exclusively female cast, and it is The Favorite. Yes! One of our favorites. This was pretty much a movie designed for me. Like, <laughs> yeah. it is a British period piece. Mm-hmm. It is um, sharp and biting and humorous. It's like, a, as I said earlier, a profane Oscar Wilde script. Ooh, it has yeah. some of the most mm, wit. incredible profanities <laughs> and turns of phrases. It has actresses actressing at each other, (laughs) all at the top of their game. Um, Yeah, it's about the ambitions of women operating in oppressive culture. I mean, I we talked. I talked about it a lot when it was on your list, but this was really a movie like designed to be a favorite of mine. It's a success. I want to quote it and jiff it all the time, and I (laughs) basically want to grow up to be Rachel Vice. Oh. And Rachel Weisz in that movie, like both, <clears throat> both her, and the character she plays. That's fair. She wears some fantastic menswear. She has an eye patch. I mean, it has the mo- the best disinterested hand job in the world. <laughs> while a woman plots revenge, mm-hmm. I mean, just Chef's kiss. <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> so that's my number three. Nice. Which means we are Matt to you. <clears throat> Runner up. Silver the medal. Second best film of 2018. It is another tic tac toe. It is Can You Ever Forgive Me? Nice. Narrowly my number two. Um, we've, Wait, why is it a tic tac toe? Because we all Because we all three. I had it at four, it. then you had it at three, and then we okay. had it at two. Yeah. Tic tac toe. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a triple hitter. Yeah, I no, I don't no. Know if that's an actual. No, I didn't mean phrase. to. No, that's wonderful. It's beautiful. Continue. Yeah, no, it's it's pitch perfect. If like one of the Coens, their like famous quote about directing is that directing is just tone management, and mm-hmm. I mean Mariel Heller just slow clap. Yeah, slow claps. The and and I do I had the same even though I knew it took place in the nineties I had that same thing of like, wait when does this take place where <laughs> is mm-hmm. it because it's just so. Uh, it's not drawing attention to we are in the 90s this is why she has a typewriter and the like yeah. not the typewriters were what everyone was using in the 90s yeah. but still it's it is a great sense of place <laughs> you know, and time you know what it had for me it had this like weird sort of like it was like the melancholy distorted <laughs> mirror image of you've got mail <laughs> and that it's about like the more book, realistic and that it's like about bookshops and the literary world Ooh, yeah and being a writer and what being, that is day to day yes absolutely yeah and just like the fact that it's like sort of new yorky landmarks in the 90s it has mm-hmm. the same sort of like aesthetic <laughs> yeah anyway. i think it's the script of the year it's nicole hollis center who is an incredible filmmaker in her own right and thankfully this is her well, not thankfully, but thankfully she was Oscar nominated. This is her first Oscar nomination. And Jeff Whitty co-wrote it. For the screenplay, right? Yes, for the screenplay. Which is similar to Annihilation in that it was kind of a loose adaptation. Like, it's based on Lee Israel's memoir of this time in her life and yeah. all that she did. But, like, one of my favorite anecdotes is the the final confrontational scene, not confrontational, just scene with her, Melissa McCarthy as Lee Israel and Richard E. Grant as Jack Hawk. They meet at Julius's the bar in in the actual novel. What actually happened? She saw him at like a hospital or somewhere. Yeah. And her, she wrote about how her impulse, her instinct was to trip him, just because that's kind of who she is yeah. and what their relationship was. And with that feeling in mind, they wrote that final scene at Julius's where he's he calls her like a foul cunt or something like that, <laughs> and it made me sob. Like yes. it's their relationship was just so yes. <laughs> moving and just as one two, of two movies in which a man uses the word cunt and it is terrific it's great right like, <laughs> which is a real tightrope to yeah <laughs> sure is sure is and it was balancing make it that clear. perfectly I, I also love too that it's the best treatment of an unlikable character like clearly she's she's yeah. 
which is kind of a bitch. Yeah, and no, like, she's, she's, she, or she is. She's yeah. not a great person. She's not likable, but it shows why she's, she's that way. And it doesn't force an opinion of her on the viewer. Right. Like, oh, you need to empathize with her because she's our protagonist or, or we're she gonna is the give anti-hero. Some, or we're going to give her some tragic backstory that even though she's explains a jerk, everything. this is why right. because yeah. her mom was mean or some bullshit. Right, right, right. It just has pathos and heart and Richard E. Grant is so fucking good. Yep. But the entire ensemble is great. Dolly Wells is great. and Jane, Jane Curtin. Jane Curtin is the shit. Terrific. And that fucking so cat. That is the cat feline performance of the year. Is I mean, I, I forget give it away. his name. Yeah. But. yeah. And M- Melissa McCarthy is, I think it's the best performance of the year. Male, female lead supporting. It's... Wow. I, I mean, I don't. I won't even that. Disagree, great. I, I, she's not my number one actress of the year, but she's amazing. Oof, just humor, melancholy, the loneliness, her disappointment with where she's at in life and how she takes that out on herself and other people. The way she sabotages that date scene with Dolly Wells. But like, is like, because she's a pretty self-aware character. But yeah. like, we can see why she's doing what she's doing and sabotaging yeah. this potential relationship. But uh, it's it's really layered and just I exceptional. Also, I also love that it has some like you know, heist isn't the right word, but it has like crime scenes of yeah. her selling the forgeries that she's doing, and she's the worst criminal in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I love that it's not these like slick scenes of like let's see how she got away with this crime for so long. You're really like, how did she get away with this crime for so long? The woman is sweating <laughs> profusely. <laughs> Like she's a terrible criminal. Fumbling around, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyways, that's okay. what makes it all endearing. Too. Yeah, it's, yeah. It is the second best film of the year for me. Nice. So we are to you, your silver medal, Elizabeth. Oh yes. Well, my silver medal has already been mentioned, and I think I should probably just call like my number two slot the Alex Garland slot. Apparently. Because Annihilation is my number two film of the year. And also, not unlike Ex Machina, it was a movie that I liked a lot. It was my number two of the summer. Um, And then I watched it again and I was just like, nope. This is it. I freaking love this movie. We've already talked about it a ton, so I don't really need to mention much more. Like I said, I think it's, for me especially, I, I read it as like a meditation on grief. And specifically the grief and trauma that um, all of the women who go in, what they are processing um, are things that are very specific to like women's experiences. By which I mean it's not like the characters could have been men and they just decided to gender blind cast and make it a female cast. Like there is a reason that they're all female, whether it's like Mm -hmm. the woman who's dealing with the grief of losing a child and then her like, so I kind of read it as meditation on grief and like how it transforms us and we metastasize into something different. Mm -hmm. Um, and this woman creation rather than destruction. Right. And for the woman who her grief is about a lost child she experiences a very violent and sort of horrific transformation, mm-hmm. which you would sort of imagine to be what it's like to lose a child. Um, and then you have like Tessa Thompson's character, who Tessa Thompson is also so good at Annihilation. Um, but, you know, Tessa Thompson's transformation, her way of processing that grief is to be become a plant like it's so incredibly like peaceful mm-hmm. and beautiful and still the acceptance of the accept yes yeah. the accept I that's a beauty right the acceptance of it mm-hmm. of it just transforming herself and like going willingly mm-hmm. and almost joyfully into that state of being and then Natalie Portman's fighting that transformation and refusal as she's seeing the mirror image of what it's she's transforming into mm-hmm. fighting against it for her life like i it's another ah, killer ending another Great. killer ending yeah alex garland man he makes really good movies mm-hmm. and movies that really benefit from a second watch because he yes. not unlike boots riley with you know sorry to bother you he has a lot on his mind and he is not interested in giving a concrete answer and not yeah. in the obnoxious Darren Aronofsky 
mother. It can be a metaphor for whatever you want it to be. Like, it's not like that. (laughs) Right, exactly. Like, I'm not sure exactly what Alex Garland intended or wants his viewers to take away, but that's what I took away from it, and I was so incredibly deeply moved by it. And again, in 2018, which has been a tough year for us all, like... Mm -hmm. So cathartic. Yep. And I will mention it's now one, two, three, four. I have four films in my top ten that are almost exclusively female casts. Mm-hmm. Which nice, is great. Nice. And then two others that are female led. Anyways. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's my silver medal. What is yours, Nathan? Your number two. Hell hath frozen over. My number two is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yes! Oh! Which is a comic superhero film. First horses and now this. I know. <laughs> so, okay. This, I love this movie. It's my number 11. I and love I, it. And I kept putting it into my 10. I feel like it's the first time I've seen a comic on screen, like Mm -hmm. successfully, as, you know, a translation of what comics do. Right. But in movie form. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the most beautiful animation I've ever seen. Yep. It's a comic book superhero movie that's fun. Mm -hmm. Who knew? Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, And, like, part of that is, like, all of it is in designed to be inviting to the audience or at least it's not it's not like pandering or catering to the audience but it's like it's designed to be entertaining yes because whereas like most i don't know most superhero movies to me just are not designed to be entertaining they're designed to be something else some sort of ego trip of the director or just straight commodity or you know whatever a continuation of a moneymaker like even this there might be a sequel to it but it felt like it told a complete story like there's a coldness there's a coldness in a sorry no 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 just that like this felt like it was telling a complete story as opposed to this is a movie to set up our next movie which is going to be the you know what i mean Yeah. Yeah. yeah And there's a coldness and a formula to it usually. But enough right. about those other horrible movies. This movie is <laughs> it's it's really just a gem. And I I was shocked at how much I liked it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I have anything else to say. I mean it's also It's fun too. It's so fun. Oh it's yeah. also like it's also like significant, you know, and we talked about if we talked about Black Panther at some point, like I think it's so incredible that there are like young, both black and Latino boys who can go and see themselves on screen as a superhero. And part of the message of the film is that like superheroes come in all shapes and sizes and forms and that it's something for everyone, which historically comic book heroes have not been for everyone. It has been yeah. a very specific type. At least in movies, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I it's mean, also like also comics, a but... young black male character, well, Afro-Latino character who you see dealing with like the challenges of being Afro-Latino. You see him struggling to fit in at school. You see his home life where he actually has like two supportive parents. So you're not seeing like the sort of poverty porn, but the like racial... Right porn of like it's not green book yeah or like the the, or like the black boy who doesn't have a father his father is incarcerated or like any of these things that like are the portrayals of young black men that we mostly see it's such a positive joyful terrific thing that i i i don't think that that sort of representation is anything to sneer at or discount Mm. i think it's very important yeah and Nick Cage is great in them. <laughs> <laughs> the whole voice cast. Catherine Hahn. Catherine Hahn. Mm-hmm. Love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Brian Tyree Henry. Had a great year. Made me made me cry in that scene where he's like talking to Miles through the door. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. Yeah, I love it's that so... it looks like a comic book too. Like, mm-hmm. Right. Right. The first few minutes, I was like, "Wait, is is this in three D?" Right, because the red, blue, right, because all it the was, like dots and you like, could see it in three D. I think. 
I mean, not the we screening did, we, we saw. did not. No, I know, yeah. but the screening yeah. we saw, it looked because it's similar to comic book panels where like what's in focus is in focus and the rest behind it, it can be a little blur. I was like, wait, yeah. should we have 3D glasses? This is is this a 3D showing? And I was yeah. like, oh no, this is like the part of the, the style. style, and it's really well executed. Yeah, yeah, the aesthetic choices were just stunning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And nice all the better that it was an animated film. Yeah. But also, like, animation is not a genre. Like, it's it's still, it's a superhero movie. Right. It's a, yeah. 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 That just happens to be told in the medium I'm of so animation. I'm shocked it's your number two. That was high. It, it was very, very close to being my number one and was for most of the day today. Oh, I love wow. it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. We are to our favorite our top I films of 2018. Wait, I can't wait. It's me. <laughs> my number one film. So earlier I said with my our friend Cameron that we have been almost exclusively texting about two movies since we've seen them. One was Mission Impossible Fallout, and the other one is the best movie <clears throat> of 2018. Paddington 2, yes. baby! <laughs> Yeah. Holy yeah. fucking shit. I love Paddington 2. It is a perfect film. Wow. Um, it is pure joy. Mm-hmm. It is optimism of believing the best in everyone and that everyone is worthwhile. It has a message that is explicitly pro-immigration. Yeah. Um, it has... Every single performance, I talked about this with Game Night, but every single performance is so perfectly calibrated to the film that they are in. And all of them are heightened performances, but not in a like cloying, we're in a kid's movie way, more in a like heightened, almost like Wes Anderson-y. Kind of like storybook. Storybook way. Um, Hugh Grant is extraordinary. It's the perfect (laughs) send-up of all of the baggage of who he is as an actor without an ounce of, um, like, restraint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. In the best possible way. Like, he's he's just totally free with it. Um, ben... Uh, Wishaw. Wishaw has the perfect voice. It is, like, the kindest, nicest voice in the whole world which is what Paddington is. Mm -hmm. It's also a beautifully, from like a technical, it is a beautifully shot film. It Mm -hmm. looks terrific. Visual effects. The visual effects are seamless. The score is terrific and eclectic with, again, without being like saccharine. I think it's the Britishness of it all that it keeps it from being cloying. There's just enough little biting British witticism in there. I mean, again, it's like a movie made for me, right? It's a bunch of British people, but then it's also them just being like nice and kind to each other. And in a year so incredibly filled with shit where like (laughs) children are locked in cages and women are (laughs) losing their reproductive rights and like LGBTQ rights are in like in a year of just pure shit, being able to watch something that is so positive and hopeful and joyful, but still like connected to the world we're living in. As I said, it's very like pro-immigrant and it's very pro everyone has a story that is worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the things that really matter are the people we love and how we can express and show that mm-hmm. and the families we create. I watched it once. And I was like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. (laughs) And then three days later, I said to my boyfriend, Conan, I said, we are sitting down and we're watching Paddington 2. This is the best movie I've ever seen. Um, On top of many great performances, Brendan Gleeson is also incredible in it. And now my boyfriend quotes him all the time to me and pretends to be him. And it's my favorite thing in the whole world. Um, One day I've been sick. And so I was, like, not feeling well. And Conan then came in and pretended to be Paddington washing the windows by doing a little, like, yeah. butt shake thing, <laughs> imitating Paddington. Um, and then when my mom and aunt were here for Christmas and we had, like, sort of a down afternoon, actually in this very apartment as we were cat sitting for you, I said, I know what we need to do. You need to watch the best movie of the year. And we watched Paddington 2. Nice. So I have watched it three times. Nice. It's my favorite movie of the year. That's amazing. It's my number 16. Perfect. It was, it was right up there. It's Love so it. terrific. 
Um, who's next? <laughs> Unless you want me to keep evangelizing. <laughs> no, I mean, no, I, I feel, already I feel really spirit. wanted to watch it, and even more so now. Yeah. Um, we are to you, then, love it. Nathan. Your number one. My number one is not even remotely surprising to either of you, probably. It's Annihilation. Nice. Um, I almost didn't want it to be a number one because it's so predictable for no. me. Because no. it's apocalyptic sci-fi, cerebral, whatever, women-led. So, of course, I'm going to love it. Except not, of course, because there are a lot of movies like... Well, there aren't a lot of movies like that, period. But yeah. sometimes um, I'm even harder on this type of movie because it's so in my Wheelhouse. sweet spot. Yeah. Right. That you um, want it to be exceptional. Yeah. So, I mean, this movie... Like, to me, so we've already said a lot about it, but to me it's about self-destruction as well, both personal and global, like climate change, as well as just the personal self-destruction that we all grapple with Mm -hmm. throughout our lives. Um, Just like my number 10, the documentary, The Most Unknown, this is like, it's like a wake-up call about the questions I care about most. Mm -hmm. Again, it's like not the questions that affect us in our daily lives the most. Um, but they are the questions that are the most fun to think about. Like if we figured out, if we figured out everything else and like ended misogyny and racism and homophobia and all the other ills of our society, then we'd have to grapple. Then we could just spend a hundred percent of our time grappling with who we are as humans. So it's a good escape in that way. Um, even though it's terrifying at the same time, but I love that shit. Um, I mean, it it made it made me think about how like how alone are we? Yeah. A, do we have free will? B, mm-hmm. what does the gap look like between our perception of reality and reality, whatever reality is? Yeah. We don't even know. Um, it's trippy. It's, it's trippy. Yeah. For and sure. I love it. Mm-hmm. And you should watch it. And it's it's not perfect either. Like I would, I would. Just to be clear, I would not vote for Annihilation as best picture, per se. Mm-hmm. But it's it is list. my number one yeah. of the year. So it's personal in that way, too. Like it's, I mean, I would vote for Paddington, too, for best picture. I'm sure you would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, so I'm, I guess all I'm really saying is, like, I could imagine this really not being someone's cup of tea, for sure. And that's right. fine. But I loved it. I love it. I love that it was on all of our lists. What number was it it for you? Six? Uh, Five. Five. That's number five. Nice. Where was it for you? Two. Two. Oh, yeah. So that's probably our collective. That is our collective number one. Not what I thought would be. I thought it would be Can You Remember For You? So did I, which was narrowly my number two, because my number one, no surprise here, because I'm so basic, is Roma. That's that's not basic. basic. It's a great film. I mean, it's. I watched it, even if it didn't like. The first time it for sure like didn't necessarily personally resonate with me. I watched it and it was just like, oh, okay, this is what filmmaking is. This yeah. is what a movie is. Yeah. Like this is reaching a bar that has been set. Yes. And any movie that exists is trying to be <laughs> as successful as this fucking piece of art. It is a yes. masterpiece. It joins the pantheon. Like Moonlight, it was an obvious number one. Yes. It was like, what can I say that like I watched this. And I'm like, oh, I wish every movie was as perfect as this movie. It yeah. is stunning. I mean, Alfonso Cuarón knows how to craft a film, and he... Uh, much like I am starting to think that Catherine Hahn might be very good at acting, I think Alfonso Cuarón <laughs> might be very good at directing. You heard it here first, folks. Alfonso Cuarón. Up and coming director. Alfonso Cuarón. Making a film. But yeah, I mean, it's just, if you... No, he I truly mean, has not made a Children of Men, Gravity, and this are like three of the best movies it's of this century. Mama Tambien, please. Yeah. Oh, that was even, even better. Yeah. yeah. They're all sensational. No, I'm not kidding that I say yeah. he legitimately has not made a bad movie. No. no, and like, I love, it's such a simple story with visual ambition. It's such a high degree of difficulty. All of his stories, I feel like, can are, can be really just straightforward. Like, if you're just giving the logline of, okay, Sandra Bullock gets trapped in space. Mm-hmm. Two best friends in Mexico find this en- enigmatic woman and go on a road trip and mm-hmm. become adults or, like, grapple with mm-hmm. becoming adulthood. This is just very simply, it is about 
a domestic worker in 70s Mexico Mm -hmm. dealing with her day-to-day life and the family she is employed by. But because of that simplicity, it allows Cuaron as a filmmaker and all the craftspeople that work on on this project with him such freedom to really hone in and focus on all of the details especially that's why i I know it's very flashy all those long takes or like one shot Mm -hmm. scenes but because those exist then you as a viewer have such an easier time placing yourself in there because it's like theater Mm -hmm. whereas like the lighting the sound everything has to be exactly right from beginning to end of the scene that it's calibrated perfectly to tell this story and it it draws attention to the crafts in a way that as like a film fan yeah i can appreciate that the art direction is fucking amazing the costumes are great but they're not like look at this it's it's still part of the same it's all in service of a vision right which is like why if directing as the cohen said la 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 is tone management i mean it's chef's kiss yeah, I'm ready it's just that. Don't steal that. I wrote it down. It is in my notes. In my notes, my last note. My last note about Roma is asterisk chef's kiss asterisk. Okay, great. But yeah, it's thoughtful. It's precise. It. Yeah, I also uh, loved the delicacy of the details of like someone who. I mean, I can't relate at all. So I'm not gonna pull some like white woman bullshit of being like I know just what it's like to be a. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> To be a like native Mexican a domestic worker. Yeah. Yes, I don't know that at all. I did nanny like part time, but like I nannied and it is. And then my good friend who I lived with for a while, she was my roommate, um, Andrea, like is still a nanny but full time. And it is such a strange position to be in to be mm-hmm. sort of a secondary parent. Oh, yeah. To children that are not your own and you still work for them and you work for the parents. And it's like a very complicated relationship between you and the parents, even if they're like nice. Like I loved yeah. the family I worked for, but like it's hard because in some ways like you just want to be friends. But at the end of the day, I also work for them. But also like when I leave, their children are throwing their arms around me and telling me that I love them, Mm -hmm. telling them that they love me. And I say like, I love you back, which is true. I genuinely like love those kids. And so I loved just the like little moments of that, like in the early on when they're all, the family is watching TV Yeah. and you see her again. I think this is almost all one shot and you see her going around behind them, collecting the plates and then coming and sitting on a pillow on the floor next to the couch and the little boy who's closest to her just casually draping his arm around, around her. Yeah. yeah. And then when the mom asks her, please oh, go make tea? tea for the doctor, and she starts to get up, and the little boy is like, no, because he wants to cuddle with her. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's such a confusing role to be in. Mm-hmm. You're see? part of the family, but you're also But you're not. not. Slave, kind of. Yeah. Right, but you're also, you work you for them. You work for them. Yeah. And it's such a like tricky thing, and he just does... Like has like little scenes layered in that are so detailed like that that I thought were really extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, I grew up with. I wish I put this movie on my top ten. Who I loved, like my parents were doctors. I grew up, right? Like, I mean, I'm sure it's more impactful for my sister who was six years younger than me. But like, right? I had. I mean, she didn't live with us, but I had the same nanny for years who like raised us. Yep. Took us everywhere and taught us shit. And some of my memories from childhood are of her, not of my parents. Who, right. I love my parents and I have a great family, but still, it was right. like and a very important role. And then the second that job was done, that's it. She's out of our lives. Yep. Like, it's crazy. Yep. But yeah, it's, um, especially on second viewing, I mean, the movie just improves, but it, the way it plays with memory, like, mm-hmm. I remembered so much of the movie, especially visually, because it is really striking, but... Then when I rewatched it, I was like, oh, this is not how I remember it. This is not the order I remember it in. Yeah. But it's still, right. like, just very well done. Yeah. And then ending with just for Lebo, his, who... I like, know. It's bit, I, like, it's really... It does... It moves me, and I cry at the birth scene, and I cry at the beach scene. And then at the end, I'm like, oh, I really, really, really respect this. And all it does is have that long shot of just as she walks up the stairs to her where she lives 
on their property. You still see the planes flying over, yeah. and it just says for Lebo, and that was his childhood nanny growing yeah. up or whatever. I, I lose it. It's it's uh, a masterpiece and the best movie of the year yeah. for me. Again, Excellent. it's like one of those, It's what is this, like 17, 18 on my list. Again, but, it's recency too that I haven't really processed it, but it's like even though it's not my personal number one, I would be like delighted for it to win Best Picture of the Oscar because I think probably just as like in regard to film history, yeah, it deserves to have like that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. But then obviously Paddington 2 is the best movie <laughs> and a masterpiece. I don't think that one's um. up for best picture. But. Which is some bullshit. <laughs> to be honest though, like more it's more deserving, average. not even just as like, you know, because I love it and it's a nice movie and it makes me feel good, but it's genuinely like the craft of that movie yeah. is better than half of the movies nominated for best picture. For sure. It, it has more of a directorial vision than fucking like, you know, movies that I'm not even going to name because this yeah. is nope, a happy no, podcast. We're talking about positive things here. Right. All I mean to say is that Paddington 2 is a masterpiece, but I will allow for romance. <laughs> <laughs> Roman Annihilation can stick. <laughs> That's, That's great. It. We that had a lot it. of variation. We did. Mm-hmm. I the... almost universally approve of all of the choices on everyone's list. <laughs> like, But they were like, you know, in my like long list of 30 that I all liked. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Amen. Great stuff. Nice that work. is that. That's been 2018. We've got a few few other things coming your way. Obviously, the Cinemunchies, which are our fifth annual Cinemunchies. <gasps> yes. We'll have one other podcast where we're going to break down our favorite performances of the year because we love performances. Yep. Yeah. But that's 2018. Thanks for listening. See you later. Bye. Sure.